This is a truly beautiful text because it it flows out from last week's scripture and shows us now the impact of the gospel, not just in our church together, but but in each of our own households, in our 24-7 lives. The household is a very important thing to our God, and, and the gospel life we were talking about last week must also flow through our households. And this little text here shows us what that renewed household, living under the gospel, looks like. And as it shows us that picture, the the model being put forward here is actually taking what was a standard cultural household code from from the Greco-Roman context back then, but, but it opens it up the other way around, because the wider culture at the time held all kinds of stipulations about the obligations of wives and children and bond servants. But here in the gospel household, we now see obligations going back the other way too. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. Masters, treat your bondservants justly and fairly. Never before had there been social obligations running in those directions from the husbands back to their wives, or from fathers back to their children, or from masters towards their bond servants. So by rewriting the household code to, to now run in both directions, this beautiful teaching of Scripture has shown us the gospel reality we were looking at last week in action. So verse 11, if you recall, here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. And this here is what that looks like. Contrary to the prevailing culture at the time, this text is showing us here how the gospel household is to function, so that all are honoured and upheld. And such is the way that should be, of course, that the codes and conventions of our wider culture should be rewritten, so that all who are in Christ are treated as Christ and as Christ's own, because they are. In our modern context, we, we tend to read this and push back on these things. If nothing else, our culture would certainly want to push back on that first one. The first five words of this text are, are words that really grate against our social context, and particularly over recent decades. Wives, submit to your husbands. That gospel teaching is now well out of step with our modern context. Or rather... We should, of course, say that that our modern context is now well out of step with that gospel teaching. But we're also starting to get out of step with the second teaching, aren't we? Children obeying parents. Parents are starting to lose the right to instruction, the right to care for and choose for their children and govern them. Society has, has begun to change this household dynamic too. And the third relationship mentioned here is it's foreign to us these days because we don't we don't so much have bond servants anymore, do we? I mean, some households still do have various kinds of servants and and maybe even live-in servants, but employment is not the same thing as someone carrying the burden of unpayable life debt. But we can probably still learn from that gospel the gospel response here to that kind of relationship. The master and bond servant relationship, gospel principles in there that, that are probably still helpful for our other relationships today. And of course the other two relationships, husband and wife and parent and children, are still very much in play, so so those teachings are directly relevant to us. 
And whatever we would like to think about the gospel call in these relationships, we should note carefully in this scripture that the teachings here running in the traditional direction are are accompanied here by good reasons. Wives submitting to husbands, well, that is fitting in the Lord. Children obeying parents, this pleases the Lord. Servants obeying masters, well, they are serving the Lord. So why is our modern social context so out of line with those, those first couple of points there? Well, because we aren't in line with the Lord. I mean, that was the reasoning given in all three of those teachings, wasn't it? it? It's fitting in the Lord. It pleases the Lord. It is serving the Lord. So if we don't like, uh, say, those first five words, then ultimately our issue is with the Lord. He means for our posture to be this way. If we disagree with, with one or the other of these things, then then I guess we are unfitting unpleasing, doing disservice to the Lord. Something our culture doesn't understand is that that in true equality, in pure equality, there is nevertheless still some sense of order. Order. That we all have equal value isn't to say that we descend into a free-for-all kind of chaotic anarchy, each one for him or herself. No, there is still nevertheless a natural order that God has ordained and it flows forward through society from the basic unit of the household. So we should read these statements as couplets. There is balance here. There is relationship here. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. Bond servants, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleases, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Masters, treat your bond servants justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. What we tend to do when we start examining these teachings a little bit is, is to try to establish you know, some, maybe even a hypothetical, you know, uh, what if kind of scenarios. You know, what if one party fails to uphold the gospel call on them in these relationships? What should we then do? You know, so should, should wives submit to their husbands if the husbands are being harsh with them? Must children obey their father if he is being overbearing? Should servants back then in that time, should they have obeyed their masters if they were being treated unfairly? We do that, don't we? And indeed elsewhere the Bible elaborates on this. So so in 1 Peter, for example, we read, Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. For this is a gracious thing when, mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. Bond servants were held under lawful obligations in that society by, by the terms of their debt, and regrettably for many servants that meant enduring cruel masters who mistreated them. But the Christian bond servant is instructed not to retaliate 
or to rise up against their master, or to strike back, or to switch off. Rather, they should endure as Christ endured for them. Mind you, the Bible does encourage servants to seek their freedom, if, if that is an option, but, but otherwise, that they should not let it bother them and just serve out their time under the Lord. The important thing for servants is to fix their eyes on their true master, the Lord Jesus, and endure and serve out their earthly obligations as if they are serving him. Verse 23, Whatever you do, work heartily, as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. And in a gospel household, of course, bond servants would be treated well because of that beautiful equalizing value of the gospel by which Christ is all and in all. There is no slave and master in the gospel sense. And so a Christian master of a servant in an earthly sense will treat them well. Masters, treat your bond servants justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. If you jump forward a handful of verses to, to verse 9, you, you'll see that Paul is sending this letter to the Colossians along with Tychicus and Onesimus. And if you were to jump forward a handful of books, you would discover that they are also carrying a letter to Philemon. Philemon, who is Onesimus's master. Onesimus, carrying these letters, is the bondservant of Philemon, who he had run away from. And Paul was sending him back so that Onesimus should submit to his master and live out this gospel call with a letter on him appealing to Philemon that he might consider releasing Onesimus from his debt. Not forcing that on him though, but, but simply appealing to him to, to consider that. I'll let you follow up that later. It's in Philemon, the letter to Philemon. The point that we might take out of these two letters going back with Onesimus, the slave, and our text right here today is that the opening up of the teaching back the other way, from, from masters back to servants, doesn't undo the teaching in the original direction. Servants must still obey their masters. Onesimus, carrying this very letter back to Colossae, is, is modelling that in action as he returns and submits to the master that he fled, Philemon. The gospel household doesn't just throw out one direction for the sake of the other. It, it liberates and upholds both parties. And perhaps that difficult uh, foreign relationship of the master and, and bondservant can nevertheless give us principles here that, that can also inform our other two examples and, and the typical challenge that we bring against those. So, for example, should children obey their parents when they're being overbearing? Well, parents shouldn't be instructing them like that. That's the balance of the gospel relationship laid out here. But if parents fail a uh, that gospel call upon them, can, can children then just dispense with their call to obedience? And what about wives? Should wives submit to husbands who are abusive to them? Well, husbands must not be like that. That's the balance in that gospel relationship. But if husbands fail on that score, then, then can the wife just abandon her gospel call? 
both parties in a gospel relationship are upheld. Both parties are upheld. So even if the one is in error, the other should still remember the call upon themselves. It's actually a secular influence in our thinking that that makes us so easily say, well, they didn't keep their end of the deal, so, so why should I? That is not the gospel speaking. If the party in error is a believer, then we must remember that they are equally precious to Christ and that they will equally be saved in the final judgment just as we are. Christ died for them just as he died for us. We must abide by the gospel call on us to love and honour them. If the party in error is not a believer, then even so, the scriptures speak to our response as of a household considered holy to God on account of the party who does believe. So, for example, in 1 Corinthians 7, we are told that the unbelieving husband is made holy because of his wife, and the unbelieving wife is made holy because of her husband. Otherwise, your children would be unclean, but as it is, they are holy. Now, there's some beautiful mystery there. In that scripture, the unbelieving partner is is not necessarily going to be saved in the end. As the text goes on to explain in 1 Corinthians 7, we don't know their fate. But nevertheless, in some way, in some beautiful mystery, the whole household is considered special, set apart for God because of the one believer living there. And that believer is to live in the meanwhile as if the other may be saved. And so I would suggest that even if an unbeliever fails, their part of the gospel call on them in these relationships that are set out here in Colossians chapter 3, then the believing party should nonetheless seek to live out the gospel call on them. You may not have wanted to hear that, and, and I don't pretend that this should be easy to accept. But even if the immediate heat calls for some time out or, or some sensible precautions, there is still a gospel posture within which we should seek that out. We must continue to honour our Lord at all times. And if the other party is a believer, or an unbeliever who wishes to stay, then the goal of any help or counselling or separation or any such measures, the goal needs to be the restoration of the relationship which is what all of these various scriptures in the Bible are about, if you flick through them. We seek to honour the Lord by living out the gospel call in our relationships with one another. So why doesn't this always map out so well in practice? And what can we possibly do to, to help this map out better? Well, the first question there is easy reason this doesn't actually map out in real life as well as it should is because Christians too often refuse to submit to these teachings. And there are obligations on pretty much all believers here. Most everyone is either a husband or wife or parent or child or a master or servant in some sense of that word. And for all of us, there is a new gospel posture that we must adopt 
captured so simply here in this text. And from all of this, we get the sense of how all our other relationships should be just the same. But the problem is that Christians don't always submit to this way of life. The husband isn't tender towards his wife at times. The child is influenced more by peers than parents at times. The servant takes up his obligations, but but only by way of covering his begrudging heart at times, and so on and so on. When one direction of the relationship or the other direction doesn't submit to these gospel calls, then, then the Christian household starts to look like any other household. So what can be done to help us map this stuff out better? Well, that one's easy too. We need to teach and encourage each other to submit to these teachings. The cultural word in our ears today is is that we should turn uh, straight away to secular advice and wisdom. The wife should go to the police. The child needs counselling. The man should find some kind of outlet. And not that those things aren't going to be helpful and and necessary at times. but, But why is our first thought or, or our main response to look to secular answers for our messy households? And why sometimes is it our only response? There's a great danger here, because the secular world is not going to point us to this gospel teaching where, where the heart of the answer is actually to be found. In fact, the secular world might do everything it can to lead us away from this gospel answer. Sometimes a happy solution to the secular perspective is is to have relationships broken, as long as each party is kept safe or or given half or, or whatever. But the gospel seeks for relationships to be restored and for us to be reconciled to one another. That's what the gospel seeks for, and, and that, well, that may require just a little bit less cotton wool around each party than our secular culture can actually handle, but for our ultimate good. A bit like Paul sending the runaway slave Anesimus back to his master Philemon in submission. So secular help may well be useful. Please don't get me wrong. If it aligns with this gospel objective to repair and restore our relationships. But we need to be careful that we don't give the secular domain authority to counter this gospel call, to let them divide and isolate believers and fracture relationships further. The household The household is a most precious and beautiful thing in the eyes of the Lord. We must not hand over its fate to the unbelieving world. And any help that they give us should be our servant, a servant to our master and his gospel call on us to live in right relationship with one another. And suddenly the question starts to get very hard because... Because when the relationship breaks in in either direction or or both directions, we often don't know what to do. And we often do whatever we can do. And sometimes we just want to survive or or, or just escape altogether. But while we cannot enforce these gospel calls on on the other party in the relationship, we, we can take responsibility for our part. And so we must be held to this call and take correction. 
So please hear this scripture and take these teachings to heart, for if and when that time does come, we must seek right relationship with others. We must see that we all have equal value as one in the Lord, but but also understand and accept that this naturally unfolds in some good order. When the relationship breaks and we do need help, we must seek biblical help. In line with these very teachings that we're looking at, we must seek this kind of biblical help as of first importance. So let me throw this into the mix. Seek help from your Christian family, your church, your Christian friends and family, before or at least above the help that you take from the secular world. Let everything be subservient to this gospel answer and pray that your church family will be godly and courageous in this gospel to minister fairly and to rebuke without partiality so that true relationship can be restored. Find a Christian friend who you can trust who will stand by this gospel call, not telling you what you want to hear, but standing by this gospel call, helping you to to reach out to the other party in love and helping you to stand firm in your own call all the same. And remember that Jesus is making all things new, isn't he? We must trust him and work with him and honour him who we serve in, in everything that we do. Don't be overwhelmed by guilt if this text has convicted you of your own actions, past or present. Repent, ask forgiveness, and seek renewal now in line with this gospel call. And don't give up if you ever come to this text with great sorrow or, or despair for your own situation because of the other. Take heart, brothers and sisters, because ultimately there will be restoration and reconciliation between every two sinners in the household of God. Thinking about when this picture goes wrong really makes you appreciate when it's all going right, doesn't it? It really is a beautiful thing to see this gospel code written out so cleanly for us here. What a picture of a gospel household. Mutual love and respect and order between husband and wife. Careful, loving instruction and obedient response between parents and children. Dignity and honour in in the arrangement between master and servant. And it all, of course, flows right out of that picture from last week of the, the whole gospel life. Our households fill up with this oneness in Christ, just the same as the whole church fills up like this. This is precisely what our Jesus is doing. So we should be excited when we see it, and we should step further into it with him. Husbands, do you have a wife who lets you lead? Oh, then praise God for her, and for his good order in these things. And remember that she is equally precious in his eyes. So love her, and do not be harsh with her. Wives, do you have a loving, gentle husband? Then give thanks to God for his good order and for your husband following that good order. Your husband is loved by the Lord, so so submit to his loving leadership. Parents, are your children obedient? 
count that as a blessing from God and enjoy his good order of these things. They are, they are much younger than you, but, but they are no less valuable to God. So don't overbear them. Children, are your parents, are they clear in, in what they ask you to do? Thank God for them and, and accept his natural order of this parent-child relationship. God loves them just as he loves you. Don't forget that. So listen to what they say. This gospel relationship is just so beautiful and so precious that, that we must be sure not to take them for granted. The gospel posture of the other should call us more and more into gospel posture ourselves. And so it, it kind of becomes a back and forth or maybe an upward spiral of, of gospel love flowing through natural order in the household to the glory of God and to our eternal benefit. This text wants us to be counter-cultural counter-cultural with our household relationships and we're probably all feeling this scripture pinch because we've not lived up to these things even now i think there's there's probably going to be a few wobbles with all of these instructions here as we, as we do try to put our hearts to this and nevertheless let's take these calls from scripture and, and let's step into and further into this gospel life and may the lord grant us comfort and joy and strength when we do need it to to just keep pursuing this gospel posture. And I reckon I better pray for us. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your scripture as always and this call here to these, these radical new households. We, we just pray that you'd help us do this, Father. Father, for those not familiar with this kind of relationship, I pray that you would ease hurt, bring courage and, and lift spirits, and moreover, Father, bring gospel renewal. For those who find themselves quite well in these things and experiencing these kinds of beautiful relationships, Father, I pray you keep, keep them out of complacency, but bring a deeper desire to honour you in this posture, in everything that we do. Teach us to love one another as you have loved us and, and to, to live out that love in, in the natural order that you have created and, and recreated us for. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.